Our passage this morning is the second half of Acts chapter 1. So if you have it, have your Bible, your device, uh, turn, I'll ask to Matthew, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 1. And uh, if you would, it's one of our few customs that we've been able to maintain. Stand, if you're able, while uh, I read verses 12 through 26. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John, James and Philip, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers, the company of persons was in all about 120, and said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in his ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness. And falling headlong, he burst into the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Akaldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and there be no one to dwell in it. And let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, Show us which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias. And he was numbered with them eleven, numbered with the eleven apostles. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, I'll ask that you keep, it, keep your Bibles open to Acts chapter 1. We're going to be finishing that chapter. If you were with us last week, you remember that Jesus, just before his ascension, he told all these disciples to go and to wait for the promise of the coming Holy Spirit. So they did exactly that. They went back to Jerusalem and they waited. And this, this part of Acts actually has a lot in common with the book of Joshua. So if you were with us um, during our walk through Joshua, uh, you remember that I said that, that Joshua was a sort of a bridge book. It bridged the, the preparation to enter the promised land with the actual settling down in the promised land. And in the same way, this part of the book of Acts, it bridges Jesus' ministry with the establishment of the church. Everything else that you read is Acts goes on and, and the epistles and so on. And you think back to Joshua, when Joshua led the, the Israelites through the Jordan River and they entered the promised land, really the most logical thing to do at that point was probably to move as fast as they could against all the people who inhabited the land that they were promised, because you didn't want to give them time to begin to build their defense against the Israelites. But that's not what God had them do. God had them stop 
and wait and consecrate themselves, which took about four days before they went in and tried to do anything militarily. And in a similar kind of way, you know, if I'm the one designing all this, which we're all glad I'm not, but if I'm designing, you know, I would have put the Ascension and Pentecost all together for this big, one, huge, profound moment. But that's not how God had it. Jesus says, you are to go and wait. Wait for the promised Holy Spirit. And that was going to take probably about 10 days. And any of you who know me well uh, know that I don't wait well. <laughs> you know, the, the worst part of me is going to shoot first and aim later. If you know your strength finders, I'm an activator. If you know your Enneagram, I'm a number three. It means I, I'm an achiever. I want goals and I want to always feel like we're moving forward and accomplishing these goals. I don't want to wait. But what people like me need to understand is that sometimes the best thing that we can do is wait. Sometimes the best thing that we can do is is step back. And we need to understand that often God has something for us in our waiting that's actually going to benefit our goals and our plans uh, better than just going. And as I thought about this, I mean, what, what a perfect passage for us to hear right now. Because we look at these disciples, they're called to wait. We're in the middle of this COVID season. In many ways, our life got hit on, got put on pause. We're called to wait. And when we see these disciples, they're not just passively waiting somewhere, doing nothing. These disciples are actively waiting. They're preparing in their waiting. And so for us, COVID has caused much in our church and our lives to just stop and hit pause Pretty much every area of our life was, was put on pause back in March and May. And even now that some of us can gather in, in some way, it doesn't feel normal. And, and many of us, I would say all of us, have friends and family that we still have not seen since March. You know, we still have kids and grandkids that we have not seen. We, we still don't sing in church. I mean, who would ever be th- thinking we don't sing in church? That's not normal. And we're all still waiting to be back in some sort of community the way that we used to be. So I really felt like God was asking me through this passage, and I, and I think all of us through the sermon, to ask us, as we wait for certain things to become, to return more to normal, are we waiting in a biblical kind of preparing way, or are we just waiting passively for the season to pass? Tom Rayner, who served as president and CEO of Lifeway, um, he wrote an article this past week. I think it was this past week. I read it this past week. And he made five predictions for the church on the other side of COVID. He's making the case that even when things return to normal, the church is not going to be what it was. His first prediction was that 20% of uh, Christians who attend church in America will not be returning to church. His other prediction was that we, in the next 12 months, we will see the largest scale um, uh, of vocational pastors stepping out of the pastorate that we've seen in recent history. Those were the two negative things that he talked about. The other three were actually positive. He said, we're going to see in in churches as a whole kind of a shift to growth by conversion rather than by growth through just moving Christians around in the city. He thinks that we are going to see more churches starting churches uh, as a result of of the season. And then lastly, he predicted that there's going to be a radical growth in what we call church adoptions and church mergers on the other side of COVID. And so I'll be asked, all of these predictions, the, the good and the bad, they resonate with me. And I don't know whether he'll be right or not, but it, 
it reinforces in me this certainty that we can't just wait as a church. We need to be preparing ourselves as individuals and as a body for what life looks like on the other side of COVID. So I believe that God has lots of purposes in waiting. I don't presume to know 90, 2% of them, not nine, 2% of them. Maybe I don't even know 1%, but I do from this passage, I do know clearly two of them. I know two purposes that God had for this early group of disciples in waiting, and I think they also connect very easily to us in the summer of 2020. So the first is that God uses waiting to draw us closer to each other. Right off the bat in verse 12, you see that Luke, he goes to great lengths to show us who's here. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, and the other James, uh, the, Simon and Judas, not the one who betrayed Jesus. And then Luke says the women were there. And he specifically mentions Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Jesus' brothers. And as a sort of an aside, um, you know, this, this is a really hard passage to argue that Jesus didn't have any brothers. And I mean, the word brothers here can only really be interpreted as biological brothers, uh, because if you're going to interpret that as a spiritual brothers, why would that not apply to all these other people, including Peter, James, and John? So uh, Jesus's biological brothers are here. All right, but I digress. The whole group was about 120 people, and I can't help but wonder who else was there. I mean, we, we probably some people that Jesus healed. Was Lazarus there who Jesus had just raised from the dead? Was Nicodemus there? I think if we could see a, a list of the guests at this, this gathering, I think some of these names would be very familiar to us. And they didn't spread out during this 10 days. They didn't go home. They came together and they waited. And Luke says that they were of one accord, studying together, eating together, praying together, fellowshipping together, laughing together, crying together. I can imagine them spending many hours telling stories of Jesus together. But the point here is that they were together. And we can see from the beginning of creation that this is how we were designed to be. We were not made to be living life out in isolation. We were not designed to have uh, this private spiritual life. We were designed to be together. We were designed to be in community. And there's some really interesting studies out there, like non-Christian studies that affirm this, this, Christ, this Christian um, understanding that we were designed to be connected. We were designed to be in relationship. And there are all kinds of studies that show that the 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 less connected we are, the less we have these types of relationships, the more vulnerable we are to certain addictions because we, want, we, we naturally want to fill that space with something else. Things like alcohol and pornography and even social media. And so this is obviously all three of these things are on the rise right now because of our increased isolation as a society. And in the counseling community, they used to say that the opposite of addiction is sobriety. Some of you know that's not the way the counseling community thinks of it anymore. They'll now say the, the opposite of addiction is connection. That's what the people need, and that's the reason that organizations like AA and NA have had such success, because they've been able to replace the addiction with a real genuine connection to another person. We weren't designed to primarily be connected through Zoom. I, I, I've already said this once. I, I'm as 
extroverted probably as anybody in this room, and Zoom just drains me. I hate Zoom. Zoom has become a four-letter word to me. Every time a Zoom call pops up in my calendar, a little piece of my soul dies. And I, I, I appreciated an article that a medical doctor who's also a Christian uh, wrote about why Zoom isn't satisfying us. And he says, in the same way that a cell phone keeps looking for service that isn't there, drains the battery of that cell phone much quicker, in the same way we are much more tired when our bodies can't find each other in real time and space. We're designed to be around each other. Christian fellowship is a God-ordained way to conform us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Because in, in Christian fellowship, we're not just around each other. You know, just being in a, in a big crowd, it doesn't satisfy the, the, our desire to be connected. We need to be with each other, open with each other, serving with each other, loving with each other, encouraging each other, letting people into our our hopes and our successes and our our fears and our hurts. We need to be with people who will lovingly critique us and and push us toward being the best version of us that we can be. Christian community is a community where we say what's mine is yours. And that's not communism because communism is a forced redistribution of wealth. Christian community is a voluntary giving of your whole self, giving of your time and your emotions and yes, your resources. Christian community operates much like a rock tumbler. You know, you put those rocks in those barrels and it turns for like a month and we hear that noise in the back of our house for a month. But when, you, when that happens, these rocks are just gently hitting each other softly over the course of, of 30 days. And what comes out on the other side isn't an ugly rock, it's a beautiful gem. And that, I think, is a good picture of Christian community, what's happening here and what God wants for us. So if you find yourself struggling in quarantine... And I know this probably applies to all of you, but I especially, I want to talk to you all on the live stream right now. If you find yourself struggling in quarantine, I want you to know that there's a reason. It's because you weren't designed to live in quarantine. Nobody was designed to live like this. And I don't want to make anybody feel guilty for having to be isolated. We understand that you need to be isolated, but we need to be able to give ourselves grace when isolation brings struggle, because isolation does bring struggle. We're not made to live in this isolation. So here and now, as many of you have to stay quarantined, we have to fight as a body to get creative about what it looks like to have fellowship. And so this is going to happen at an organiza- in the organi- organization and the organism. You know, those are two terms you've heard me use before. There's the organization and the organism. And I'm convinced that most of Christian fellowship happens at the organism level. But we as an organization, we have a responsibility too to come alongside everyone and help you get creative and connect with each other. So here's one thing that we're doing at uh, an organization level. You've heard us talk about our pandemic groups. It's just a cheeky name for something that we were already doing back in the fall. We were, we were testing, beta testing our formation groups. And formation groups, if you think of your life in 
kind of three concentric circles. You have this large circle, which is the, the corporate gathering that God uses to nourish us in community. But it's not like we have these really deep conversations on a Sunday morning. Then you get down to a, a mid-sized group, maybe 10 to 20 people, male and female. This is something like the community group circle. But then there's this, this smallest circle that's male or female, separated, maybe two to four people. And, and this, this isn't a Bible study necessarily. This is made to supplement all the Bible study that we're already doing. This is a way for us to connect in a real way. So these pandemic groups that are slightly uh, regrouped way of doing our formation groups, we're trying to offer, if you want to do it via Zoom, God bless you. But we're trying to offer other ways to do this. So my group is going to meet through Marco Polo. Um, if you're familiar with that app. Some groups are going to really meet in person. Some are going to meet up here on the back porch. Uh, But we're trying to get creative to allow this to be something that truly everybody could be a part of. Uh, We're committed to trying to engage, again, you on the live stream. Uh, This part has nothing to do for you. I'm going to talk about something that none of you are invited to. We're going to have a monthly evening outdoor communion service here the first Sunday of every month and the reason we're not inviting you is because we want to make it as safe as humanly possible for those who would want to come and you guys get to do communion every Sunday morning so every Sunday every first Sunday of every month we will gather outside uh, and it will be max 30 minutes we will come together maybe sing a song or two socially distanced masks on and take communion, and I'll have a little, a little devotion. So that's going to be starting two Sundays from now, and we will do that as long as we have to do that to be able to hopefully engage everybody uh, who isn't able to come here. Third thing we're doing, again, trying to promote fellowship, lunch with Jim. That's just a, a monthly lunch where anybody's invited, men and women, and we just sit down and we have lunch and talk about whatever. If you have any questions about what's going on in the church, we talk about it. Um, we, those have been largely on Zoom since March. You can probably guess where I'm going. They are no longer on Zoom. <laughs> they are get, coming back to this building. We will be socially distanced, but uh, we will be bringing lunch with Jim back here. And then lastly, we are devoted to having as many Sunday services as we can humanly pull off to be able to continue to welcome as many people back to gather uh, in as safe a way as we can. So waiting it means being in fellowship. And in this season, we're going to have to fight for this fellowship and be creative for this fellowship more than we've ever had to be. But as this group of 120 people are waiting and they're growing closer together, we see that God also uses this as a time to prepare the organization. So we, we talked a little bit about the organism. He's preparing the organization here. And you can see this in verses 15 through 26. In verse 15, you see that they're searching the scriptures to try and understand what in the world just happened with Judas <laughs> and, and what do we do about it? I, I can't imagine how hurt and shocked they were to see this man who had walked with them for three years betray Jesus. And Luke uses verses 18 and 19 to give us a reminder about what happened to Judas. He betrayed Jesus, then he took the money that he was given to betray Jesus and he bought a field. And in Luke's words, he fell headlong in that field, burst open, and his bowels gushed out. Pretty, pretty descriptive. Now, this account varies a little bit from Matthew's account. Matthew says that he hung himself. I, I can think of a number of scenarios where both of those are true. You could, you could try to hang yourself and the branch breaks and you fall way down and 
what Luke says happened. Or maybe he hung there for a while and somebody cut him down after he'd begin to bloat and what Luke says happened. It's not concerning for me either way, but Luke says that they have, they now call this field the field of blood. And they go to Psalms to rightly see that all this was predicted and it gives them some instruction. They read, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it. And then let another take his office. So they are to replace him. And then they begin the process to try to figure out who is it that would replace Judas. And there are those out there who think they were in sin to try and replace Judas. But Luke gives us no indication in this passage that they were in any way acting outside of God's will. So I just can't, I can't go there. I actually think it makes logical sense because there there would be other apostles down, down the road like Paul. But in this season, in this moment between the Ascension and Pentecost, it was important to them that the number of apostles was, was 12. It was important because there's this logical connection to the Old Covenant. It establishes this continuity between the covenants because, because Israel was built on 12, 12 tribes. And in a similar kind of way, the church is built on 12 apostles. They want this statement to be made when Pentecost happens that this isn't a new sect, it isn't a new religion, this is, this is a continuation of what God has been doing over the course of human history to redeem his people. N.T. Wright, he says, how could they model and symbolize God's plan for Israel and therefore the world if they were, so to speak, one patriarch short of a true Israel? So then the question is, how in the world do we go about appointing a new apostle? I mean, that, Jesus was the one who did that. And now we've got to do this. So first they came up with criteria. All right, we need a man who has been with us from Jesus's baptism by John all the way through his ascension. And, and there, you know, I, I, I assume they are also looking at character and responsibility. And so they narrow this whole group down to two people, a man named Joseph, also called, called Justice, uh, and a man named Matthias. And they didn't know what to do, so they cast lots. Now people get out of sorts on the casting of lots too. And I think it's fair to say it's usually the people that think they were in sin for looking for a twelfth in the first place. But casting of lots, it was a thing in the Old Testament. If you remember when, when Moses was allocating the twelve tribes, he did it by male population and lot. This wasn't a pagan practice. This was something that was, that was known and used in the Old Testament. I am not very uh, persuaded to cast lots in the ways that we make decisions. I do think we have resources post-Pentecost in the canon of Scripture and the Holy Spirit in the way that that they didn't. Uh, But I think it's really important to see that they didn't start by casting lots. Even if someone's inclined to cast lots, they did a lot of legwork and, and reasonable sorting out before they got to that point. And I can't help but feel a little bit bad for this guy named Joseph because he is forever known as the guy God didn't choose. And I, I mean, if you read the, the, the passage, it, we have every reason to think that Joseph was an outstanding individual. I mean, he was chosen by everybody around. You, you seem like you're one of the best two candidates for this job. So I feel like I need to do that for Joseph. But as they waited, they were by appointing this 12th apostle, they were preparing the organization. 
So I do think this has a lot to say to us <laughs> because when COVID hit and everything shut down, I felt like for the first four months, we were just waiting and reacting. We weren't, I mean, we were doing our best, but we were just trying to figure out how to get a, a basic minimum viable product, if you want to call it that, in a service or, or something online. But something happened about a month ago where the leadership of this church was, was able to stop I said, all right, let's look back at our strategic plan for this year. And let, let's see, what is it that, that we can still do? Even if it looks very different, what can we do? And I want to let you know about a few ways, things that personally make me very excited, that as we return to our strategic plan, some of the things that are going on that I think is going to contribute to a very fruitful fall and, and prepare us for whatever life looks like on the other side of COVID. So first... When COVID hit, we were in the middle of our elder and deacon uh, nominations and training. That all came to a screeching halt, although the elder candidates did uh, join the elders every week on our our weekly um, Zoom meeting. Our elder meetings this week are going from Zoom back to in-person too. Pretty excited about that. But the elder candidate and deacon candidate process, it is back in full motion. Uh, We expect to have names to you uh, probably in about a month. And that's when we'll cast lots to see. I'm just kidding. All right, but that, they'll be there. Second, also really exciting. We, if you've been around OGC for a while, you know that we have a very unique stewardship of and relationship with RTS. Uh, our, our church, that is Reformed Theological Seminary. Our church was founded, planted on the campus of RTS back when it was in Maitland. And we have, we've, we've, Really, I got to give a lot of credit to my predecessor, Kurt Heffelfinger. During his 15-year tenure, he stewarded the students of RTS very well. And in his tenure, I've, we've been able to find over 30 households that were sent out to be pastors and church planters and missionaries that, that were RTS students that, that Kurt and others would invest in. Many of you, if you've been around here for a while, you remember names like Winston Miller and Jared Jung and Greg Wilson, Graham Buck, Scott Dever, Colby Wilkins, and many others. This is, this is a beautiful part of the stewardship of Reformed Theological Seminary. Now we have an opportunity to take this stewardship to a whole nother level and establish a pastoral residency at OGC. So we, it looks like we have the possibility of establishing this uh, and it's beginning to look like we could qualify for up to approximately $350,000 in grant money through Made to Flourish to be able to get this residency program up and going over the next six years. Ideally, it would start in January. So you're probably wondering, what is a residency program? And how does this take our stewardship of RTS to the next level? So think about a teaching hospital. If you go to, and we have a few, um, I, I know Orlando Health downtown is, Florida Hospital is, Okay, Uh, if you go to a teaching hospital and you see a resident, you're not seeing an intern. You're seeing a real doctor. That's a real doctor and he does this residency to bridge the gap from the academy to the field. So in the same way, we want a residency program where we have real seminary trained pastors, young pastors. It's not an intern. And these pastors are a part of our pastoral team. And when we bring them on, this does, this not only gives us, does a number of things. It gives us 
greatly increased capacity to do ministry at OGC. It gets, gives them unbelievable opportunities right out of seminary that they probably wouldn't have. And it also creates a whole lot of value in our intern program because students are going to know that it, this job could be on the other side of seminary. So this is a place to really dive in over the course of your years here. So... You can be praying this week. Our, our elders are having some very important conversations with Made to Flourish, and we would greatly appreciate your prayers. And if and when this money does become available, um, we will flesh out the details with you. But it's far enough along that all the elders agreed it is time to let you know and please be praying for it. Third thing that we're doing to prepare for the other side of this, we're preparing ourselves for a very divided country and church in many ways, especially as it pertains to the conversation of race. And we believe, all of the elders believe, the gospel is big enough to encompass different understandings and views on this topic if, there's a big if, if we embrace and model Christian listening and empathy. That's the only way that our church is going to get through this. And so we have, we're almost done recording As in Heaven Season 2 where we try and model Christian grace, empathy, listening, and conversation through very challenging, uh, very challenging topics. We, I guess because of COVID, the national Christian voices on, this, uh, on these issues, on, on various topics of these issues, they're available and they've joined us on the podcast And we chose people not just because they were experts, though. We chose them because they have a pastoral tone and a charitable heart. I mean, there there are experts out there who I even agree with that I would never have on the podcast because I think they're jerks, all right? We're, We're not out there just to convince somebody of an opinion. We're there to model Christian listening and conversation built on a biblical understanding of the doctrines of sin and grace and atonement. So we've been blown away by the wisdom and biblical perspective that we have been able to receive on this podcast from people like Ligon Duncan, Trevin Wax, Crawford Loritz, um, Isaac Adams, Carl Ellis, Colin Hansen, Christina Edmondson, Jerome Gay, Erwin Ince, uh, Soon Chan Ra. There are a lot, and there are other people. We, we just were blown away at the kinds of voices that, that God has allowed us to to engage in. And our hope is that this would be a discipleship tool. Uh, we, again, we're talking about preparing the organization. We ha- are developing, uh, well, Skylar's really taken front on this, developing discussion questions where groups can, can have conversations around these issues from the podcast. And our elders in a couple of weeks are going to begin to do that as a group, listen and discuss. And so those will be available to the public probably in September sometime. We've already talked about pandemic groups. Um, We are also in the next, uh, I think, few weeks, maybe a month, we are going to really invest in the live stream. I know there have been a lot of people who have asked us to please increase the the quality of this live stream. So we're going to do that. Uh, Hopefully in three to four weeks, you're going to see a big difference in the way that we're streaming out to all our families who are not able to be here with us. Uh, And then lastly, you know, there's been one thing that has been on our strategic plan uh, during for my whole tenure here that we have never been able to accomplish and that is to have drums in worship it's it's amazing how hard this has been but lord willing this week we will be purchasing drums and in the next few weeks you will see uh um aubrey way 
helping give his talents to our worship in that way. So there's still a lot of preparation organizationally that we are going to have to do for the other side of COVID, but I have a lot of a lot of praise and thanks to all, to many volunteers and deacons and staff and elders for all they've done to contribute to what I do think will be a very fruitful fall at Orlando Grace Church. I feel very encouraged. I hope you do too. There is a lot to celebrate, even as we're waiting on life to return to whatever normal will be. I don't like to wait. I know I'm not alone in waiting. I know some of you are waiting. Some of you are waiting for a spouse. Some of you are waiting for a job. Some of you are waiting for a child. Some of you are waiting for a child to come home, a wayward child, a wayward grandchild. But in this passage, we see that there's there's hope in waiting. There's purpose in waiting. And it's not the only place in scripture that we see waiting. We, we see Moses had to wait before he went back to Egypt. We see Moses had to wait before he could enter the promised land. And we see that Paul waited 14 years between his conversion and his missionary journeys. Waiting is a part of the Christian life. And it's profitable if we know how to do it well. If we devote ourselves to fellowship, to the studying of God's word, if we devote ourselves to prayer, if we do those things, then then it will prepare us for whatever it is on the other side of that waiting. But whatever it is we're waiting for, all of us are waiting for something that will satisfy us more than any relationship, more than any job, more than any good health. We're waiting for Jesus to return. And if there has ever been a year that where we can all collectively say, come Lord Jesus, it's 2020. And you can look back and see in Revelation 6, the martyrs right off the bat were saying, Jesus, when are you going to come back? And his answer to them is, wait, rest some more. So we wait, but we don't wait with nothing to do. We wait for the other side of COVID and we wait for Jesus' return the way that the disciples waited. We prepare, we invest in fellowship, we study God's word, we devote ourselves to prayer, and we pray that by God's grace, his kingdom would expand through us as we wait. Let's pray. God, I thank you for a good passage on a topic that I don't want to hear. I don't naturally want to hear anything about waiting, but it's good for me. And I thank you for the purpose you had in having Joshua wait, having Moses wait, having Paul wait, and having these disciples wait. And I pray that you would give us a deep sense of purpose in our waiting, that we might honor you, that we might all grow and be conformed more into your likeness, and that this kingdom, your kingdom, the kingdom of God, might grow and strengthen through our waiting we love you and we know that this can only happen through the power of your holy spirit inside of us and we ask this in the name of jesus christ amen